In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful Northeast Minneapolis. I had the last couple days off and I normally drop one or sometimes two podcasts. Uh, on Wednesdays and Thursdays, my usual days off. For whatever reason, I was kind of in a melancholy mood and just didn't feel much like podcasting. And I was actually even kind of toying with the idea of taking a mini break um, from just podcasts and gaming and whatnot altogether. Because this weekend, we're probably not going to be playing on Saturday morning. And I was thinking, eh, maybe I'll just, like, not play on Sunday night, too, and just have a week or something where I don't do anything game-related and just, you know, actually read some books <laughs> and stuff that aren't aren't associated with gaming and stuff. Uh, I think it might be useful sometimes to just clear your head and uh, and just live a little <laughs> in the real world. Anyway, um, I didn't do that, and I've got some calls piling up here, and uh, it's probably best that I address them before they languish too long in the old uh, message folder, as it were, an anchor. So first up is Joe from the Hindsightless Podcast. Take it away, Joe. What's up, Rob? Dude, I love your idea well the halberds and henchmen's idea of the no limits and magic users taking damage when they you know go go for it too hard and yeah i like your idea with the you know the clerics getting not taking hit point damage but if you did want to give them hit point damage the way you could sort of for me at least sort of justify it is you're right clerics are channeling the power of the gods and much like a circuit that gets overloaded with electricity, they might channel too much and it might burn them out or blow them out. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you could do it the same way where they just take damage. Uh, and that's just you're too close to the divine where it burns you. You know, it burns your soul. Uh, I don't know. Just what I was thinking. Peace out, my friend. Oh, yeah, you could totally do that. I could I could completely see it you know some beam of light coming down from the skies as the cleric has his arm raised up or something and and he just kind of like does the old machine gun dance or something and falls to the ground after he's <laughs> completed his miracle or maybe the holy symbol he's holding is just burning like white hot um but yeah that that could totally work um i do kind of like the especially how it works with magic users when you're rolling a d4 for hit points and you're rolling a D6 per spell level that when you're trying to go beyond the limits, it makes it more dangerous. But thanks for the call, Joe. Rob, I love that you say you'd never tell me to shut up, but you didn't say you'd never call me an asshole. Good for you, man. <laughs> anyway, I am an idiot. The spell is not called Wheeler Woe. The spell is called Augury, and the DM answers with Wheel or Woe. That's the answer. It's not you don't answer with yes or no. You answer wheel or woe or neither or both. 
Uh, but like I said before, there is a percentage chance where <clears throat> you can lie. Because if you pass the check, the the dungeon master has to answer honestly with wheel or woe, which are both pretty vague because that's not yes or no. That's leaning towards good and leaning towards bad. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a fun spell and it's what my actual play show is named after because we had a player who would cast it all the time. It would take them a thousand hours to pick what question they were asking. <laughs> I think that's how it's handled in first edition AD&D too. Although it, I think it's a yes or no, not wheel or woe. Wheel or woe sounds cooler. But much to my chagrin, somewhere along the line, my first edition player's handbook disappeared. I don't know where the hell it is. I've looked everywhere for it. And I actually saw, you know, a, a few years back, Watsi re-released all the first edition books with like a leather leatherette cover or something. And I saw one at my game store, a player's handbook, and it was 60 bucks, still shrink-wrapped. And I came really close to buying that. I'll probably regret it. And I usually have my DMG just sitting out here. But it's not here, and I don't know what I did with it. Uh, does anyone else go through these phases where they, like, reshuffle their books into various tubs or something? And if you're anything like me, you're completely disorganized, and you end up tearing apart <laughs> uh, your game collection for the better part of uh, an hour, and then find whatever you're looking for in the last tub that you come across but I usually have the DMG just sitting here on my desktop um I don't know what the hell I did with it anyway I think that's pretty much how augury is handled in first edition it sounds familiar and yeah I think that's the risk of the, those types of divination spells is you do have the potential for you know, players just overusing it. If I'm remembering right, I think in AD&D there was a material component that was pretty expensive, some kind of diamond, like maybe 100 gold pieces of diamond dust or something like that that were expended every time you cast Augury, which I suppose would cap the use of it at least at lower levels. Um. <laughs> and then as far as like, yeah, taking forever to decide what question to ask or how to word it or something. Those are exactly the type of things I'd love to see players parse out between sessions via email or something or whatever means you use to communicate with your group between sessions. That's That and shopping trips are ripe for out-of-play discussion via email. I wish so much that people would do it more. And I'm looking in the mirror because I don't do it as enough either as a player. Uka in a helicopter? That's our transportation? Hey Rob, Jason here. Really like the idea that spellcaster be able to take damage in order to cast an extra spell. Not sure how that quite works with Vancey and Magic though. It, it would work obviously with DCC or you know, some of these other games. But, yeah, I, I definitely like that. As far as the quest for the clerics, I, I can go with that. I think that might get 
kind of complicated and it would limit them more because obviously they're I would think you'd only want them to have one quest at a time so where the mage would be able to do that extra spell quite often the cleric would be stuck just doing one until he got his quest done then he could do another one so just a thought but I do really like the idea and I will look forward to your next show and that, of course, was Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thanks for the call, Jason. You are correct. It is much more difficult to logically have this fit in with the concept of Vancean Fire and Forget Magic than some kind of at-will casting. That's how Halberds and Henchmen was. It was, you could cast, you know, a limit of spells, but you could cast them spontaneously from any of the spells that you know that you have like mastered and inscribed in your spell book. And I guess for Vancian, all I'd do is just say you're allowed to like burn this back into your memory somehow. Um, so you could recover any spell that you had previously memorized and cast and f quote unquote forgotten. So yeah, it doesn't work as well with the the lore, the the fiction of the game, the the magic mechanics or whatever, but yeah, I think it can still work. I mean, at some point you have to just kind of, you know, acknowledge that you're playing a game and it doesn't all have to really make sense, especially something like magic doesn't really have to make a whole lot of sense. And as far as the cleric goes, one of the reasons I wanted to have it different was to help differentiate the magic, to make the cleric magic feel a little different than the arcane magic. And I think a quest also allows both the DM and the player to kind of explore the theology or the, the lore of the whatever religion or power they serve. So coming up with, well, what would, you know, this saint or this deity want me to do um and it just gives a little like fodder as well as well you gotta complete this little side quest now and uh and as far as making it more difficult for the cleric i think that's fine too because for me in classic DD, the cleric is the most powerful class in in part because they have a faster advancement rate than especially magic users, but also fighters. And being able to use any armor and cast spells while they're wearing that armor, even if their spells are not nearly as potent um, for the most part as the, as the magic user spells, just having that plus throwing in turning undead and hit points kind of between the two. And yeah, that's... I think it's fine to nerf the cleric a little bit. So, that's my two cents. Thanks. Welcome to the penthouse, Thundar. Hey Rob, this is Menion. I've been listening to all your podcasts, really enjoying them. Um, I'm afraid that the actual details of the things that I most enjoyed and wanted to comment on have been lost uh, as, uh, you know, things have been pretty hectic and stuff. But uh, dragons... Yeah, uh, interesting stuff. I I do like subdual rules and and the weird some of the weirdness about subduing creatures. I, I think it would add a, a really 
exciting element into the game. Um, how much sense it makes uh, realistically is perhaps be beside the point, as long as you can sort of create some reasons, some kind of in-game um, um, rationale behind, behind such mechanics. Uh, it certainly would make it a lot more interesting anyway, having all these creatures uh, um, in, in your uh, entourage. And of course, a uh, quick mention of Barrow Maze. Um, I've just started running my own Barrow Maze campaign. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I don't really know much more than the players do at, at the moment because I've only read, you know, key parts of the, of the uh, pack. But it's some fantastic looking material there. And I love the way that it's so simple in some respects, but allows the players to develop a story within the setting that's quite um, atmospheric and exciting. So um, I'll be continuing doing some updates on that probably on my own uh, uh, podcast. Uh, but uh, yeah, great stuff. Um, keep up the uh, stories about Barrow Maze, man. All right, take care now. Bye-bye. And there you heard from Minion from Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushi. He's had a few episodes lately that I've really enjoyed listening to where he's been talking about Barrel Maze and old school D&D in general and especially like from some thoughts on strategic review and whatnot. So yeah, go check out those episodes and his other offerings. Lots of good stuff. And, you know, it's just, it's funny. A lot of the the UK uh, uh, podcasters are just really easy for me to listen to for some reason. There's just some kind of quality to their accent and their delivery that's often, I don't know, kind of soothing or something, just just mellow and uh, I, I suppose it's just different than what I'm used to hearing on an everyday basis, so it's fun to listen to. Anyway, to your actual content. Um, oh, and before I forget, for those Barrel Maze fans out there, and those of you that are just curious about it, Greg Gillespie, the creator of Barrel Maze, has just started uh, another Kickstarter for his fourth mega dungeon in this setting he's created. This one is called Dwaro Deep. So if you go to Kickstarter and search for Dwaro Deep, spelled just how you might think it would be, uh, you can check that out and potentially back it at, for a PDF or a hard copy. It has already funded. It funded in the first hour, and Greg has been very... Uh, um, the, there's no risk, really. <laughs> I mean, he's completed all the Kickstarters he's done, but if you'd rather wait, of course, or if you're tapped out after expenditures from Zine Quest 3, it will eventually be up on drive through and you could purchase print-on-demand there or a PDF there eventually. I think it's supposed to be done sometime in August um, but there is another uh, to celebrate the 10th year anniversary of Barrow Maze he's also offering a reprint of that with a monochrome cover so that could be cool too especially if you don't already have a hard copy of Barrow Maze you can get it through the, this Kickstarter as well you can option or one of the options is, is to purchase two of his mega dungeons so, it wouldn't even have to be Barrow Maze, I suppose. You could uh, 
pick up Highfell or Forbidden Caverns of Archaea if you don't have those. So all his stuff is good. I still like Barrel Maze the best, although that's, to be honest, that's the only one I've actually played much of. The others still sit on my shelf here, used for inspiration, but just waiting to be played. Alright, as far as Subduel goes, I understand what you're saying. It doesn't need to make sense, really. It doesn't need to um, be realistic or anything. Uh, and I think maybe my my biggest issue with it, or with this idea of just rolling percentile dice to represent the percentage of subdual damage you've done, and if you happen to roll under that, is it's the creature is subdued, is not only doesn't it make sense to me, but it doesn't make game sense to me. Uh, I don't want <laughs> characters to be able to uh, to get these really these creatures that are much more powerful than them, or maybe even just not as powerful, but having a bunch of them to potentially get them quite easily. Um, it is unlikely. I, I acknowledge that readily. That you know, if you're attacking a dragon with fifty hit points and you just do five points of damage, you know, it's only a ten percent chance that you can get lucky and subdue it but you know those those unlikely things seem to happen more often than you'd think especially if you're rolling that every round that the dragon is hit uh, that pile those percentages start piling up and um, I don't know I just I don't have a problem with monsters being subdued and joining a party but I don't want it to be too easy a proposition I guess but Daniel from Bandit's Keep also called in with a call or some thoughts on subdual as well as other topics so take it away Daniel Daniel from Ben's Keep. I'm just listening to your uh, latest podcast. You're talking about the subduel. What's funny is that actually happened to me uh, at a player playing a monk, and they wanted to knock out a guard. They said, oh, I'm going to subdue, you know, use the subdue rules and knock them out, and they rolled crazy high on their damage and killed them, which I actually kind of like. I like the idea that, you know, you don't know how strong this creature is, so you might just hit them too hard and take them out. So I actually thought, I mean, it was, the you know, it was kind of a funny moment, but also it was just that idea of like, oh, that's kind of neat. And that's, that's the only time that's ever happened to me, but I, I really like it. Swords and Wizardry, S&W, and Mythmere Games are trademarks of Matthew J. Finch. I and the Down and Heat podcast are not affiliated with Matthew J. Finch, Mythmere Games, or Frog God Games. Here's uh, the subdual rules from swords and wizardry complete a, a weapon may be used to beat down rather than kill an opponent when the player desires damage inflicted by a character can be composed of half quote-unquote real damage and half quote-unquote subdual damage subdual damage does not kill and such points are recovered at a rate of one hit point per hour 
If an opponent's hit points, including the subdual damage, fall to zero, the opponent is knocked unconscious rather than killed, unless the real damage actually reduces real hit points to zero, in which case the opponent is killed accidentally. Not all monsters may be subdued. Generally, only humanoids and special, special creatures, such as dragons, will be subject to such attacks. Yeah, I like those rules. Um, I'm fine with, with subdual as long as you reduce the creature to zero hit points. You've demonstrated that you've dominated and beaten them. Um, and I, I like the fact that this specifically says a weapon. So you can't subdue someone with a fireball or a lightning bolt or a cone of cold or a magic missile. I'd also rule that you can't beat down someone with arrows or crossbow bolts or something like that. To me, it has to be a melee weapon. But that's just me, and that's Swords and Wizardry. So I'm listening to your podcast about the, the new house rule with the magic. You know, I've tried stuff like that before. I kind of like it. I mean, I like the idea of that risk-reward thing. But it just never made sense to me in fancy and magic, just based on how it works, that somehow the wizard could pull a spell up that they didn't have memorized anymore. So, I don't know. For me, that that's a hard one, and I've never really been sure how to pull it off. I love your idea with the cleric needing a quest spell. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention, because uh, you were talking about flashbang magic and less of it, if you look at a supplement called Wonders and Wickedness, if you've not seen it already, it's a, a level list magic system, and pretty much none of the spells are combat spells. They're all just interesting spells that do stuff. So it could be something useful to add to a game, or just to look at for reference. And there's Daniel echoing the concerns about, uh, you know, like, no limitations, burning, uh, taking hit point damage, using your own life essences to power magic um, in Vancean magic. So he's <clears throat> voicing the same concerns that Jason has voiced and stuff, and yeah, I totally get it. If the if the internal logic of the magic system needs to be consistent and make sense um, in your mind, that yeah, that it that's fine. Um, in fact, I haven't even heard. I not, I haven't pitched this really to my group yet uh, in a formal way. I haven't you know sent the reworked house rule document to them to see what they think, and none of them have. If they have listened to the to the podcast, the last podcast where I outlined that they haven't responded, um, so we'll see if it's something they actually want to incorporate into the rules. And I will take a look at that uh, wonders and wickedness. Uh, is that what? It was? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Uh, that sounds pretty cool, and I'm always interested in you know seeing some other spells that you can adapt to a D&D, a classic D&D kind of game. So I assume that's on like drive through or something. So I'll take a look. Thanks for the, um, <laughs> I just completely forgot the word, uh, the tip. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking about it more and more and I actually really like the idea. Of course, I might not like it in practice, of that percentile for subduing that you don't like. 
I don't know. I just think it's kind of neat in a way that there might be a chance that they could just hit that dragon or whatever on a bad day and subdue it with the first hit. I mean, it just seems pretty epic to me. And I think the chance of that happening is so low that, you know, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to happen all the time. So uh, I might actually look at those rules for subduel and maybe use those uh, in my game for exactly that reason. But because I do love a good random uh, action. I love when stuff like that happens. So I don't know. Call me crazy. You're crazy. Oh, no. It's all a matter of taste, right? What seems potentially upsetting the apple cart to me might seem epic and cool to another person. I think the if you are going to use those rules, though, the thing that I'd really play up as a DM is that maybe the dragon would just, or whatever creature is being subdued and was subdued far in advance of when they actually were reduced to zero hit points, maybe they kind of come to their senses pretty quickly and realize, hey, these jokers really aren't all that. Why am I allowing them to lead me around by the nose? So the players might be in for a shocker as the dragon takes the first opportunity to turn on them um, and <laughs> do some pretty considerable damage once it's healed up or you know just shaken off the cobwebs, so to speak. So I guess it all depends on how you handle the the pact or however this subduel, how long it lasts and what the conditions are of that. Um, I suspect, uh, especially as like Ed Greenwood in the Forgotten Realms dragon subdual rules and stuff um, kind of alludes to that maybe chaotic creatures are a lot less likely to hold up their end of the bargain. I may have already sent this message, so I'm sorry if I did, because I had this idea and I meant to send it, but uh, I just, I don't know if I did or not, but when you're talking about dragons and you were talking about uh, making them unique and you didn't like how that no matter what, how old the dragon was, things didn't change, which all that makes sense, the idea I, I suddenly came up with was instead of uh, looking at the different types of dragons as like different types, like white dragon uh, is a type of dragon, look at that as the age, right? So you take your weakest dragons, which I think are the white ones, and you make those dragons your very young dragons, and then you work it all the way up to the toughest ones, which I think are gold, unless you're gonna use gold for something different, let's say red, if you're just gonna do the chromatic dragons. So that way, if you're looking at like an ancient dragon, you use the stats for the red dragon. If you're looking at a young dragon, you use the stats for the white dragon, and then somewhere in between. And of course, you can just use whatever breath weapon you want, because all breath weapons uh, got cut off there. All breath weapons are the same, right? Even the chlorine gas breath weapon you save versus dragon's breath and take damage. You don't save or die like most poisons. So it would be a pretty easy way to do it without having to make up all new stats and change things. And then, of course, you just pick whatever breath you want. You pick whatever color you want the dragon to be if you care about that. And done. And, of course, spellcasting, you do the same thing, right? Because generally the bigger the dragons are, the tougher ones, like the red dragon and stuff, have a higher chance of speaking and casting spells. So all that kind of works along with it too. So when they're younger, they're the white dragons. They have a low chance of spell casting and talking. They're weaker. When they're older, they're the red dragon, and they have a much higher chance of speaking, casting spells, do more damage, have better armor class, and all that other good stuff. Anyways, a great episode.
Thanks for the ride, my friend. It's funny, I got all these messages yesterday morning from Daniel, and I was sitting around um, listening to some Chet Baker and uh, and working on my, <laughs> writing up my uh, House Rules for Dragons. I was uh, just sitting there with a, a journal, putting things down in uh, in writing, and then I'll and then I'll transfer them to a publisher doc to have as a like a PDF that I can share with everyone if they're if they're interested. But what Daniel was voicing there is many of the ideas that I had. I mean, I'm going to have more categories of dragons, starting with an egg, all the way up to a legendary dragon. And as a hatchling, they start out with a certain amount of hit dice, and each age category not only changes the hit points per hit die but the hit dice goes up by one and the damage for claws and and bites the natural weaponry starts out at a really low level and then progresses and then eventually gets to yeah white black green blue red gold and then i think there's one the legendary i think is one step beyond gold but I'm using those damages as uh, as benchmarks, kind of, as they're laid out in Swords and Wizardry. Um, but you'll see all this. I'll uh, if if I don't do it tomorrow, I'll maybe drop the episode on Sunday. Um, I I wrote all this stuff down. There's a couple little things I'm still working on. Some random tables to determine like uh, the demeanor or the uh, the major like personality point. Of, uh, of the dragon and I'm doing a random table for each uh, a separate random table for each alignment uh, that the dragon could potentially have uh, but I'll if if we don't play uh, Saturday morning cartoons tomorrow morning I'll maybe drop it then if not maybe it'll be Sunday or Monday or something but uh, yeah watch for that I'll, I'll outline how dragons are handled in swords and wizardry as kind of a part one, and then part two will be going over the house rules I'm using to modify dragons for swords and wizardry, but really they could be used for any old-school D&D-type game. So watch for that soon. I like to just kind of let things... After I come up with them, I like to let things kind of stew a little bit in my brain because sometimes... It, uh, a hole in my theory will present itself after a night of sleep or something, but <laughs> I'm sure uh, I'll have overlooked some things too that my listeners will hopefully give me some guidance on. But thanks for calling Joe from the Hindsightless Podcast, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Minion from Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushi and Daniel Norton from Bandit's Keep podcast and YouTube channel. Go out and check out Greg Gillespie's Dwaro Deep uh, Kickstarter. Support that, or at least file it away for a potential purchase down the line. Have fun gaming, have a great day, and don't go down in a heap.